Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 14th of August 2019 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. Hong Kong is a place that attracts a lot of diverse people. We love this city for many reasons, and today, as we listen to Sue Hass's story about his heartbreak, we'll be singing along and remembering why we're lucky enough to live in such a splendid place. After Sue Hass, we'll hear a story from Austin about another kind of personal difficulty. Before we listen to today's story, however, a grateful and heartfelt thanks goes out to our loyal Hong Kong listeners. With everything going on, we appreciate you taking the time to listen to our stories. Thanks this week go out to our listeners all over the world as well, especially listeners in Toronto, Canada, Budapest in Hungary, Taipei in Taiwan, and Ringwood in Australia. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. Our September show is coming up. On 11th of September, our storytellers will take to the stage to tell you their true first-person stories on the theme of Flipped. There are only three more shows on the calendar for 2019, September 11, October 23rd, and December 5. There are pitch workshops up for September's show if you're interested in telling at the live show, and workshops every Tuesday if you'd like to come and share a story in a small group. Find all the information you need at hongkongstories.com. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than comedy. It's better than drama. It's real life. And now from our February 2019 show with the theme, Direction Unknown, here is Suhas. Love of mine, someday you will die, but I'll be close behind. I'll follow you into the dark. Music was a big part of my life before I came to Hong Kong, so you might hear me sing now and then in the story. Please don't be alarmed. <laughs> before, before I came to Hong Kong, I was dating an Indian third culture kid, and she introduced me to a lot of new music. Uh, she was a third culture kid like me, and what I mean by that is that we grew up outside India for most of our lives. She grew up in Sharjah in the UAE. I grew up in uh, Pattaya in South Thailand. She went to the UK for university. I went to Singapore. My parents live in Indonesia right now, and hers in Bangalore, where we met. We lived in five countries, virtually, on WhatsApp every single day. And she was beautiful. She had chocolate-colored skin, the kind heart of a Catholic girl from Kerala, God's own country. She said that she had never been on a, on a bike ride before, and I just got my first one back then. So our first date naturally involved a long bike ride to a pet cafe where she was paralyzed because <laughs> there were too many golden retriever puppies and she didn't know which one to pet. <laughs> and then everything changed. She said it was her, not me. How would you feel if I told you I loved you? Because by then I had already told her that I loved her, helped in part by Ed Sheeran, whose album... <laughs> whose album Divide had just been released that month. <laughs> so Ed Sheeran was all you would hear, hear wherever you went. In cab rides, cafes, bars, clubs, uh, con uh, concert, no, cab rides, clubs, conferences, team retreats, house parties. And when I heard him while getting high on a beach in Gokarna, 
uh, I felt a wave, wave of uh, emotions surge at me. Anger, disappointment, regret, sadness. And I'm sure you know which song I'm talking about. Girl, you know I want your love. Your love was made for somebody like me. <laughs> but this was becoming a problem. <laughs> because it wasn't just Ed Sheeran. It was also John Mayer. This is a... This is the deep and dying breath of this love you're working on. DJ Khaled. What? Yeah. I know with you, all I get is wild thoughts. Yeah. And uh, Bruno Mars, when I see your face, there's not a thing that I would change. John Legend, Frank Ocean, James Blunt, <laughs> The Weeknd, Ch- The Chainsmokers, um, Adam Levine. It seems like songs that a 20-something girl listens to. Cheesy songs that usually have something to do with a guy liking a girl, but her not being so sure. Well, guess what? They're everywhere. (laughs) Back then, I swear, I wish I could get uh, Ed Sheeran and John Mayer in a room so I could bash their heads with a guitar. (laughs) Or at least so that I could point out to them how important it was for their growth as musicians if they stopped acting like nerdy teenagers in love. (laughs) Thankfully, Ed Sheeran now has a girlfriend, I think. <laughs> and, um, but then pretty soon, these male artists, because it was really ma- male artists, would be singing in my mind an unpleasant concert with an audience of one. And then I came to Hong Kong, right before the city was hit by Typhoon Hato. The wind was howling, branches crashed to the ground, and the rain thrashed against a glass window. And I remember telling myself that I wouldn't listen to any new music. I wouldn't listen to any music at all. I needed the singing to stop. I needed it all to go away. So I embraced silence. But when the music stops, your senses do become sharper. I heard the music of the world, world the background soundtrack to life. The aggressive horns of the, of the, of the cars stuck behind others on those uphill roads in Saingpun. The of the NPR doors as they were closing. So the office workers walking up the escalators. The patients raining. The of the octopus cars at the shops and the ding ding of the trams was a daily symphony. And the angry voice of the heavy metal singer as trying to escape my friend's headphones a daily cacophony. But no, no, this wasn't silence. This was noise. I needed silence. So I began to hunt for silence. And I found it in Saiwan, Shengwan. I found it on late night walks in Saiwan, Shengwan, Kenny Town, Pok Fulam. Watching the city slumber in peace from various rooftops. I found it on hikes along Dragon's Back, on the Lantau Trail, looking out where Jardines must have once looked out. I found it early in the morning in Sanyasin Park, interrupted by the steady footsteps of joggers, the slow burn of my cigarette, my only companion. This silence was at least better than the one in my room with no window. But after a few months of not listening to any music, I think it was about time. I was, I was ready. I was ready to let music back into my life. Because it felt a little weird as well to just not listen to any music after years of listening to music. Yeah. So one day, I remember opening up my laptop and finding my music folder. And there were hundreds of albums there, left by my best friend a few months back. And I picked out one of these albums because uh, the name of the album sounded inspirational. I took the album and I transferred all the songs and I I moved them to my phone. I plugged in my earphones and an electronic auto-tuned voice began to sing. It said, prime time of your life, 
now. Live. This was an EDM track, an electronic dance music track by the French pop duo Daft Punk. Prime time of your life. Now. Live. You might know Daft Punk because they're this, uh, this weird French pop duo and they always wear steel helmets and they pretend like they're robots or something. At least that's all I knew back then. <laughs> Prime time of your life. You see, I don't like EDM because uh, I'm a guitarist. I've been in rock bands in high school and all that. And as we, as, as rock fans usually are, we look down on EDM and, you know. <laughs> where's, where's the skill in that? There's no instrument, I always say. And I always make fun of people who like EDM as well, but it didn't matter. The song just kept continuing. The song just continued and just kept repeating the same things again. And for once, the lyrics in a song were not about how much a guy likes a girl and the, how he just wishes the girl would just love him back or just please pick up the phone. <laughs> please just, yeah. And by the end of the year, my best friend came to visit me as well. The guy who had passed me all those albums. And uh, the, so, yeah. And the people in that concert, cheering on in that concert, in that song, it felt like they were cheering for me. By the end of the year, my best friend came to visit me as well, the guy who had given me all those albums. And I remember that we were by the bay, waiting for the fireworks to start, right before the countdown. And I was obviously listening to music. Uh, I was being a little bit uh, antisocial, but my friend didn't mind. He knew that it had been a rough year, and he knew all about that album. I had raved about it again and again until the, he got sick of it. He just looked at me, and he just said, Hey, man, you listen to that song again, right? I said, I just took out the earphone and said, yeah. <laughs> and he said, um, you know, I never thought you'd be someone who would like uh, dance music. I mean, you're the last person that I would think. I just said, yeah, I don't know. I just really, really, really like this song and this album. He just laughed and said, that's nice, man. I'm glad that you finally found something that made you happy again. By the way, um, what's the name of the album? Maybe I'll listen to it when I go back home. And I said, alive. Sometimes it's worth reminding yourself that it's good to be alive. If you like any of the stories you hear on this podcast and you'd like to try telling any story of your own, head on over to hongkongstories.com to find out how you can join a workshop and get some help crafting your story. That's hongkongstories.com. Now another story from 2016, where our storyteller is also glad to be alive. Here is Austin. Uh, for... A while now, I had been going on uh, some early morning ocean swims um, because I thought I considered it a special privilege of living on an island. And I would take a minibus out, go to the water's edge, and one, two, three big strides and take a dive out into the deep water of Deepwater Bay. And I would just float there, suspended for a while between sea and sky. But more recently, moved to a new place with my kids, Alex, 13, Jared, 7, and it was further away. And we had just been trying to handle a lot in our uh, little lives, and uh, there was no beach time. So my companion, 
B, decided to uh, arrange a little getaway in Sai Kung. She knew of this secluded house on a secluded cove, and we'd have a, some, uh, some nice getaway time um, at the beach. So this place you had to get to by ferry. There was a, one first stop was the beach, second stop is the cove where the house is, and it was a beautiful place, and the kids arrived there, they're excited, but as uh, is customary, as soon as we were settled in, they started fighting about nothing. And they got on each other's nerves. It builds up. They got on my nerves. I got on B's nerves. She got on, and you know, it just goes around and around and around. And sometimes when you have these negative vibes in the air, you should just let it go. Just do nothing. And it will go away by itself. But no, at the time, I thought I should do something. And so I tried to add uh, yelling and uh, <laughs> um, berating and uh, you know, you can imagine the results. Everyone went to sleep that night in this beautiful, serene place in a cloud of misunderstanding and hurt. And, uh, you know, so far so good. It's a perfect way to start a, start a break. And then so the next morning, I just wanted to reset. Just try to, uh, try not to, try not to add to this anymore. And the, boy, the kids started playing again. Bee's natural sunshine started coming out, and we were taking a ferry to go to a Sunday roast, a lamb roast that she had found. And I thought, I thought, just let the roast do the healing. And, you know, the roast, and, and maybe a beer, and maybe another beer, and maybe another beer. And by the time it was, we were headed back on the ferry, I thought, you know, things weren't quite as level as they looked before, and I just, uh, the, the sun was beating down. I, think I thought I needed to go I need to go back to the house. But the kids were saying, beach, 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 beach. And so I thought, okay, okay, we'll go to the, we'll go to the beach then. And then we got to the beach, went to the second, uh, the, to the first floor of the changing area. The kids went up. They shot back down right out to the water. But I'm just taking my time. And I hear, I hear suddenly, you know, B's voice yelling my name in a kind of frantic way. And I come out to the balustrade. I say, what's going on? And she said, They've gone out to the, the water. And I said, that, that's okay. We're at a beach. And she said, no, but they've gone far. And so I look out, and you know, Alex is a decent swimmer. Uh, but he does not have permission to push his younger brother, who cannot swim, out on an inflatable turtle out into deep water <laughs> towards the, the, the float, the platform float out there in the middle of the bay. And, uh, and also, it's, uh, the water is kind of choppier because there was just a thunderstorm alert that was put out. And so my dad scale is judging this at about a level two amber alert situation in progress, which requires attention, but uh, not a full-scale emergency. So I'm composing the lecture that I'm going to give Alex in my head as I'm going down the stairs and B still flustered, you know, you need to go quickly. I'm trying to reassure her by just saying, oh, you know, okay, okay, I heard, I heard you. And I get, get out to the I get out to the water line and I do my thing. You know, if I do say so myself, it was a perfectly executed deep water bay, slicing, dive, breaking the surface. Um, but right as I go into my crouch, I do hear a small inner voice saying, this is not deep water bay. And I say, what? And boom, I just feel like sudden impact and, and blunt trauma on at least, you know, multiple places on my face. And it's followed by this shredding sensation across the entire underside of my body. And it feels like 
I've just dived headfirst into a great white cheese grater, and I am still, my brain is still technically on, so I, I understand that, oh, you know what, I think I just dived into about two feet of water with a bed of what felt like razor-sharp rocks and barnacles underneath, and I'm just kind of bobbing there like a, a log in low tide, and, I, and, the, and the current gradually pulls me out into deeper water. I'm not moving, because I'm, I'm worried that you know, nothing works anymore. So I take some test strokes with my, with my hand, and I eventually have to breathe, and I brush it against my face to see like, how bad is it, and raise my hand out of the water, and it looks like a scene from the opening of Saving Private Ryan, and I know <laughs> that it is, it is just probably very kind of not, it's not, it's just bad. And, and so I'm floating out there, and I still need to get to the float, because there's no way I'm going to get up and walk back out to, onto the beach like this. So I see the kids are sitting there, their legs are dangling in, and I have to do some kind of flailing paddle to get out there, and I, it's, a, it's a terrible coordination effort between paddling and breathing and, and shouting and bleeding. And so I'm just like, guys? Uh, there's this situation. I hit some rocks on the way in, but uh, don't worry, I, it's worse than it looks, so it, it, it's fine. <laughs> and when I get actually to the float, I haul myself up the ladder and I just lie down quickly because I'm worried that I'm going to pass out and I'm squinting and talking to my, my sons sitting there and I said, how bad, how bad is it? And, uh, you know, Jared, they, they say nothing because they're really busy feeling uncomfortable. And then Alex just say, well, it's, um, it's n n very not okay. And I, so I said, okay, all right, okay, thank you, I got it. And um, I'm still trying to sound like an uh, authoritative dad with a plan. And so I'm like lying there saying, okay, Alex, what I want you to do is you're going to go in first, okay? Go out there and go over to the uh, life-saving station and tell them there's been an accident. And uh, not, not bad, not serious, but they, they are going to need a lot of bandages. And, and so then what I want you to do is, uh, and he says, he cuts in, he says, dad, why don't you just, why don't you just go with him? And then floating right next to our float gl gliding by is this lifeguard who's paddling his mini float, his very own mini float. And I did not want some kind of high profile rescue operation here, but, but he is there. So we got on board. He lets us off on shore. And as expected, there's a whole crowd of gawkers. And I get through them and I go up the stairs up to the life-saving station. And there's about six or seven lifeguards there. And they are completely confused. And they're you know, they, uh, nobody wants to take the lead, but nobody wants to be left out. So they're all <laughs> bickering. And, and I think this is a good time to take inventory on my wounds. And I'm seeing that, uh, well, it doesn't look unstoppable. It doesn't look like unstoppable bleeding, so that's good. But there are a whole series of cuts and slashes and gouges, you know, on my face and on my palms. Those are going to hurt. And then the forearms and then just a web of cuts you know, along my torso. And most annoyingly, there was a series of parallel slashes across the chest that looked like at some point I had really pissed off Wolverine. And <laughs> then some 
gauze and tape and bandages come out. And, you know, these guys are well-intentioned, but they, it was clear they had never taken a first aid aesthetics course ever. <laughs> so there were just big wads of, of, of gauze and tape everywhere. But the worst part was that they didn't know what to do with all the slashes here. And, and so it, it was not deep, but there was a lot of blood. So what are they going to do? So one guy comes out with this industrial roll of, of gauze, literally this wide, and they start wrapping it around. <laughs> like a corset, and the end result is sort of like a, a, a mummy-like tube top. And, but that's not the worst part. The worst part was, the most uncomfortable thing was that they got into an argument, and, and they could not agree on what looked weirder, whether the nipples were exposed or whether they were covered. And so they're, they're tugging at the thing, trying to make their point to one another. It's in Cantonese, but I'm very clear that it was stuff like, He's a guy, it doesn't matter, and they pull it down. Another one, and then the next guy says, but that looks ridiculous, and they pull it back up. And then the next guy says, no, he looks like he's dressed like a lady, and they pull it down. The other one says, well, it's gotta be better than that, and he pulls it back up, and I'm just standing here, and I, I just feel, you know, objectified. I'm, and I was like, hey guys, it's, it's my body, okay? And they, they settle on covered. They settle on covered. And uh, at this point, the, the, uh, the lifeguard that speaks the best English came over to me and he says, do you need to go to the hospital? Do you need ambulance? Did you become unconscious? Do you have tetanus shot? And I, I thought, well, you know, despite all the ridiculous bandaging, I think I'm okay, but I'm actually pretty lucky because if my angle of dive had changed slightly, I think I quite clearly would have had a mouthful of broken teeth and a, a concussion at best and, you know, broken neck at worst. So I thought, but, but I was okay. So I thought, no, I don't think I need a hospital. But I, I don't remember about the tetanus shot. He said, oh, if you don't know, you must go to the hospital to get a tetanus shot because you have many wounds and very deep and the water not clean. So you must go. And, 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 and so he, he said, if you go yourself, it will take you many hours from here to go to the hospital. But I'll call you ambulance. You go immediately. I thought, like, well... It sounds like a plan. Okay, let's, let's do that then. And, but that decision came along with it, a lot of implications, because it turned out that there's no ambulance that can get to this beach, so they have to call in an emergency medical boat to come get me. But there's a thunderstorm warning, so that boat is not allowed to go out, so they, get a, they have to get a police, uh, marine police speedboat to, to come pick me up. And I'm thinking, oh, this is getting so involved. And, but, but the kids hear police speedboat, and they're like, awesome. <laughs> and pretty soon, sure enough, there comes the boat, like this titanium jet black you know, um, uh, uh, craft, this speedboat cutting through the water. And it looks like they're at some kind of anti-smuggling unit going in a, in a high-speed chase instead of what they really were, which was an overly equipped water taxi for a judgment-impaired dad who had just dashed himself against some rocks for no apparent reason. And uh, so there was going to be a lot more hours of waiting in the hospital, and there was a surprising amount of ridicule by the ambulance driver, <laughs> the nurses, the doctors, other patients. And I just started thinking, you know, what a waste, all this planning. This, is a, this weekend was a complete, complete loss. And, um, but then... We were waiting there, and somehow the, the kids found a, 
a vending machine that was broken, and it was just giving them crisps every time they pressed the button. And I thought, like, and it kind of turned my thinking around. You don't see that every day. And I thought that, well, well, you, you know, that ride on the police speedboat and through a thunderstorm, that was kind of awesome. It was. And, and the lamb roast was not, that was pretty good. And, and I still have my teeth. I have a corset, but I have, I have my teeth. So all in all, it... Thanks for listening to today's stories brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. The music for this podcast was created and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell.